0: Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at oursaviorschurch.com. But how do you believe God can do some new things? God can do some new things. There can be new beginnings here today, new vision. Maybe you're in a new season of your life, right? I know that God wants to do something, maybe some new adventure for you in your life. I know we've got small groups coming. That'd be a great opportunity for you to step out and do something new. But also, how many of you know our community needs some new things as well? Yeah. Listen, I love government, but I think God wants to do some new things in our government. I think he wants to do some new things in our law enforcement. I think God wants to do some new things in businesses here in our community. Yes. Yes. How many of you think he wants to do some new things in our schools as well? And I'm just crazy enough to think that he wants to do some new things in your family as well. So I'm just so excited that you're here. Thank you for making Sunday Church a priority uh, for you and your family. We're going to dig in uh, to God's word today. We're going to continue in our series according to Peter. We've been walking through Peter's two letters to the New Testament. We're in the second letter. We're still in the first chapter of the second letter where we're going to camp out for a little bit. But here's what we've been learning. Let me catch you up for, for those of you that are joining us for the first time. There was Peter that walked with Jesus When Jesus was here on earth, we read about him in the Gospels. And he was the guy that had the ups and the downs. His life was going great one day and then not the next. Peter in the Gospels is a guy that we can relate to. 30 years goes by, he's been walking with the Holy Spirit after Jesus resurrected. And he's now writing letters to the New Testament church. First Peter, when we read, this is not the same guy. I mean, it is the same guy, but he's not the same guy. There's some maturity. There's some growth that has taken place. And Peter goes from being a guy that we can relate to to being a guy that we can follow. And now we are here in the second Peter, the second letter that he wrote. And Peter goes from being a guy that we can relate to to a guy that we can follow. And now we're starting to see, man, this is a guy that we can be like. He starts to show us how we can grow in our own maturity. And last time we were here, we didn't get very far uh, before coming across a group of ver- verses that contain so much truth. There's so much treasure there. I have to stop and mind down just a little bit. And, and while I'm at it, have you been reading Second Peter just in your, in your regular devotionals? I think you should. And those of you that aren't familiar too much with it, you can turn almost to the back of your Bible. And for those of you that graduated from Nish and Westgate, it'll take you about eight to ten minutes to read all the way through the first three chapters. ACS grads and current students, I expect it's seven minutes to to, to take you to read this. No, it's great. It'll help you continue to grow and stay in line with what we're doing. I'm just kidding. A lot of niche grads in Westgate, it just sucked all that energy right out of the room. Man, you know I love you. A couple of weeks ago, I brought three cakes to the stage. You remember the, th- the three cakes? One of them was just plain cake, right? It was, it represented, there was no frosting on it. It just represented our salvation, a free gift from God. We'll spend eternity in heaven, but that's about all. The second cake that I brought was the same plain cake, but this one was frosted. Somebody spent, some time on it. It it represented sanctification, the the effort that we spend to grow our lives. It represented somebody that wouldn't just spend eternity in heaven, but would have a fruitful life here on earth, a productive life that God has for you. And then there was a third cake. How many remember the third cake? looked just like the second one, right? Only it was frosted cardboard is frosted cardboard. I took those cakes home to my kids and talked about how there are different types of people that you may meet in life. There are those that are going to spend eternity in heaven. Though that's real cake. And then there are those who try to do everything right on the outside, but they don't trust in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. They really trust in themselves. And I tried to help my kids understand that when you trust in yourself, you may do all the right things and say all the right words and sing all the right songs and put on all the right clothes and go to church and sit in the right pews with everybody else. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus personally, you're just frosting the cardboard. And here's what I told my kids. I set the cakes in front of them, the two that looked identical. And I said, you can have a piece of whichever cake you choose. And they thought about it, and they thought about it, and they went back and forth. You should have seen the look on Avery's face when he cut into that cardboard. (laughs) It's like, you were kidding, right? I said, no, you can have a piece of whichever cake you choose. And it was a great illustration to let us know that what really matters in life is not the frosting on the outside, but the substance of our relationship with Jesus. And I think that's a point that Peter wants us to understand here because, listen, I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. When somebody cuts into you, I don't want it to be frosted cardboard. I want it to, to have some substance that's there. But Peter tells us that in addition to just having substance, there's a way to live your life where you can grow and grow and grow. You can, you can develop, work on, cultivate, even supplement your life in such a way that you can experience true fulfillment here on earth. I mean, you know The point of Christianity isn't just to get to heaven. If that were the case, you wouldn't need any frosting on your cake, right? The point of Christianity is to make sure that we're seeing God's will be done here on earth until we get to heaven. Amen. So I'm telling you, we, we're growing. Here's, here's our verses today. We're going to jump right in. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Look at this. He has granted to us his precious and very great Promises. In other words, his free gift to you when you surrender and submit your life to Jesus, so that through them you may become, here's a great phrase, partakers of the divine nature. In other words, you can be Christ-like here on earth, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Very next verse, verse number 5. For this reason, in other words, so that you can take advantage of that divine nature that God has given you. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. What's he talking He's talking about the frosting. In addition to your faith and a relationship with Jesus, you can supplement, you can add those things, you can frost, maybe a little sprinkles or some flowers. You can can have the kind of life that you put some effort into while you're waiting on God to come and bring you to heaven. And that kind of life, here's what he says. If these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. Increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it doesn't matter what you think you know. Can you live it? Can you live it? You'll be fruitful and productive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's what? Blind. Man. I know we all know some people that think they're doing the right thing, but they're really blinded to what God is wanting to do and what God is trying To help him. If you lack these qualities, you can be so nearsighted that you're blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed by his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. According to Peter, there's a way to live as a Christian that's ineffective. It's unfruitful. It's blind. You're constantly stumbling, constantly tripping over the same things time and time again. Have you know somebody, don't raise your hand. We're in church. Just just nod at me. Tripping over the same things over and over and over again. And he's also saying that there's a way to work on your Christian life. Practicing a set of qualities that will cause you to live a life of effective fruitfulness. No longer stumbling. No longer blindly tripping over the same sinful habits. And look at me, church. I would not be the pastor to you that I want to be if I knew of one way for you to live. As a Christian, that caused you to trip over and over and over again. Stumbling in and out of the same things. What kind of pastor would I be if I let you live that way when I know full and well, like Peter does, there's a way to live your life where you're not constantly tripping and stumbling over things. How many of you want to know that kind of living for our lives? Let's dig in. I want to help you. Would you imagine the kind of impact we could have in our community and within our families if we lived that kind of life versus the kind that's, that's tripping and stumbling? I was talking to a man just this week. He said, church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. I'm telling you. I said, you'll fit right in. Come on. You'll fit, you'll fit right in. We're, we're trying. We're, we're, we're growing. Peter, Peter gives us a list of qualities that when a believer practices and cultivates them, it won't add to your salvation in heaven, but it'll make a huge difference on the kind of life that he's called us to live here on earth, And the first thing he wants us to add, the supplement to our faith, the only one that we're going to cover today is this word virtue. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, probably the best way to describe what virtue is, is to start describing what it isn't. So I'm going to tell you a story. In my shop back home, I have this metal device. It's heavy, it's iron, it's really strong, and it's mounted to my workbench. And it has two metal faces to it and a handle. And when I turn it, it gets really, really tight and contracts. It's called a a vice, right? V I S E. There's, there's a vice. Now here's, here's the thing you need to know about this vice. It is so strong and you can turn it tighter and tighter and tighter. Whatever in its grip can't get away and can't slip out. I can use it to put in and, and put my mower blades in there to sharpen them so that they don't fall out. It actually grips things so hard that I can use it to bend and distort things. Right? If I've got a piece of metal that I want to bend, I can clamp it in that vise, And even though it was originally this shape, I can bend it in this shape if I get it tight enough in the vise. Matter of fact, just the pressure of this vice alone is enough to distort mar and change the very image of the things that I'm putting into it. Now some of you are already a little ahead of me today, but there's another kind of vice in our lives, and that's a V I C E. Now what are you talking about? Different letter, same grip. Just like the device, the whatever what behaviors and addictions can act like vices in our lives. There are some, there are some. Alcohol may have such a grip On you that you can't slip out of it. Right? There are sexual sins and self-identifications that have gripped you so tight, you've deformed God's original design for your life. There are vices like debt squeeze you so hard that you're being bent, and the financial pressure is damaging your ability to provide for your family the way you know God wants you to be able to provide. And there's plenty more, aren't there? Anger. Unforgiveness, laziness, fear—all vices designed to grip you tight, to bind you, and deform the very true nature of how God made you to be. That's what a vice is, and a vice is what it looks like when you're stuck in sin. Virtue is what it looks like when you've been set free. See, the word that Peter uses when, when, when he describes or when describing our English word virtue more literally means moral excellence. Look at this. Virtue is moral excellence. It's the best, the highest use of a thing. It's truest purpose being fulfilled. In other words, it's not just what you were made to do, but also doing it how you were made to do it. It's your character. You say that with me? Say character. Not just what you were made to do, but doing it how you were made to do it. That's virtue. The truest sense. There's the best way. Good, better, best. Virtue is in the best way. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Greek authors and philosophers of that time, they would use this word to describe the power of Greek gods to do heroic things. To anyone looking from the outside, virtue would look like a superpower. That's how, they, that's how they used the word and described it. And can I tell you, that's why Jesus was so revolutionary when we read about the way he lived his life. To anybody looking on the outside, when you see Christ-like character in the middle of an ungodly world, it looks like a superpower on display, does it not? Turn the other cheek. That's hard to do. When you see somebody get mistreated and they come at them with love and with compassion, they got to have some kind of superpower. No, no, no. It's virtue. That's what he's talking about. You can do that. For every character vice from the enemy, there's an opposite Christ-like character virtue. How did Jesus respond to the vice of cruelty? With compassion. The, virtue character, the character virtue of compassion. What about the vice of selfishness? Ah, oh, well, well, that's why we have generosity. That's the Christ-like character of generosity. Deceit and lying, well, telling the truth is the virtue. You see, you see where I'm going? You see how he's trying to unpack this for us? You weren't made to be a quitter. You were made to persevere, right? You weren't made to be prideful. You were made to have the character of humility. But I'm telling you, there's a vice that the enemy has sent for you. Quitting is a distortion of perseverance, right? Pride will squeeze the humility out of your life, and for every virtue you were made to walk in, the enemy wants to squeeze, distort, and bend you out of your original design. That's why we struggle with the vices in our life. And here's the, pr- the truth that Peter's trying to unpack for us Today, he says this, when we add to our faith the virtues of Christ-like character, we strengthen our resistance to the vices of this world. Salvation will get you to heaven, but you're going to struggle here on earth, getting squeezed and bent out of shape, unless you can learn to walk in Christ-like character, walk in virtues that will almost resist the very things that the enemy is trying to squeeze. Why, why are there some Christians that, get, that struggle in life they are not walking in virtue? Why are there those that seem like the world is against them and they're caving in and collapsing under pressure? And then why are there some that seem like they're bulletproof, impenetrable to the things that are going on in life? I spoke to a woman this morning that is awaiting a cancer diagnosis. And she's walking in trust and hope, believing in faith that when it comes back, it's going to be slow growing and easy to remove. That's somebody that's not walking in a vice. That's somebody that's walking in virtue. How many know the difference when you see it? It's like a superpower that you walk in. Okay, I got it, Pastor Don. I got it. How do I develop virtue and Christ like character in my life? I can think of three different places, three places that you can go to develop Christ like character. Here's the first. And you probably should have seen this coming through the word, through the word. You got to be in this book. You can't just be around this book, near this book, by this book, under this book, on top of this book. You got to be in this book. This book is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will separate and divide between soul and spirit. Pastor Don, I don't know the difference between whether that's my voice, my soul, or God's voice, my spirit. I'll tell you, if you'll know this book, you'll be able to see the difference between the two. God's word speaks to us, and it sounds just like the spirit. YouTube and Facebook and TikTok and threads and social media sounds a lot like your soul. But if you spend more time there, you'll think what you hear is actually the voice of God. You've got to be in this book. You've got to be in this book. Right? It's not just in the life and stories of Jesus, but in the lives and teaching of the men and women that walked, through, walked with him. You read these stories and you see men and women who accomplished great things and you're thinking, What is it that was different about their life than my life? And you take those two and you put them side by side. I've told you before about straight sticks and crooked sticks, right? A crooked stick is hard to tell sometimes that it's crooked until you put a straight one right next to it. We don't realize sometimes that the way we're living is crooked until we put a straight stick next to it. There is not a straighter stick that exists in your life than this word. Let me tell you why it's not a buffet. When I go to Kim's Chinese and I, I look at the buffet line, if I don't like what they have there, I can move on to the next thing. This book is different. If I open this book and I read it and I, and I don't like what I read, I don't go change the chapter. I change the person that's reading it. This isn't, this isn't a buffet. You can't add frosting to this cake. Unless you're in the word knowing what things to add. And Peter's saying, if you'll get in this book, you'll learn some things about the way to live your life that will cause you to have a superpower and this world won't crush you and deform you and deface you the way it is. But you've got to walk in it. Here's the second place we can look to develop Christ-like character in our lives. And I'm sorry, it's, I have to say it this way, it's through life's difficulties. Through life's difficulties. Listen, what you walk through will develop character. How you walk through it will determine what kind of character is developed in your life. God loves you so much, loves you just the way that you are. He just desires that you not stay that way. So he's going to allow circumstances to come into your life. The number of people that I meet and the role that I play in our community, the number of people that I meet, that it wasn't a friend or a neighbor or an ad or something they heard on Caleb that brought them to church. What was it? A difficult situation, a difficult circumstance. God uses all of those things. And if you'll, if you'll see it, if you'll see his hand Working in it, you can add to your life something that will keep the vices of this world from strengthening themselves against you. You can walk in virtue if you'll look at life and its difficulties this way. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 4. It's the Passion Translation. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence, knowing that our pressures will develop us or develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our what? Our character and proven character leads us back to hope. Let me show you what he's saying. I go through something difficult. Its purpose is to refine my character. When my character gets defined, it brings me back to hope. And I start to look behind me and see everything God did, he brought through my life so he could do something in my life. Some of us don't have hope in the difficulty we're walking through because we don't see it as a development to our character. We see it as something the enemy has brought and shame the devil. I'm having a bad day. No, no, no. You're having a difficult day because God wants to grow you. And if you'll let him work on your character, you'll see the hope at the end of it. And the next difficult season you walk in, you'll have some hope left over. How do people keep walking through life with something that we don't have? I'll tell you, it's virtue. Y'all seeing this? Y'all seeing this? James 1, 3 through 4. Another one of the disciples, another apostle. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open. And shows it's true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I know you know some families that have bailed their young people out. They got in trouble and mom and dad swooped into the rescue. And the kid didn't learn anything. Right? They didn't learn. It's a temper tantrum when you're two or three. It's a whole lot more when you're 16 and 17 years old. Your heavenly father is not going to let you out of difficulties because he wants you to mature and he wants you to grow. And he will give you everything and everyone you need in the process. You just have to look for it in the middle. Y'all with me today? Where are we learning this character at? Where are we learning this Christ-like character? Where are we learning these virtues at? The first one is through the word. The second one is here through life's difficult circumstances. And I'll say this, sometimes I joke and I tell people, don't pray for patience. Because I know how you get it, (laughs) through some situations where you need patience. All right, don't pray for patience. Let God bring it the way that he wants to bring it. The enemy wants to use vices in your life to bend you out of shape. God wants to use situations and circumstances to keep you in shape. Here's the third place you can cultivate these superpowers of Christ-like virtue in your character. And it's this in relationship and proximity to others in relationship and proximity to others. Show me your five closest friends, Pastor Jacob always tells me. Show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future. You're going to be the sum total of the people you read and the people you spend time with. We've grown into a society that doesn't do a whole lot of reading anymore. So especially nowadays, the people you spend your time with, the people you surround yourself with, they're determining the trajectory. It's like the bumpers that come up at the bowling alley when my toddlers go to bowl, right? It don't matter where you try to throw that ball. It's going to bounce in and out of the relationships that are beside you, and you're going to end up on a trajectory. Some of you are wondering, how did I end up here? Him and him have been bumpers in your life. And instead of pointing you to God, they've been pointing you to something else. 1 Corinthians fifteen, thirty three. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. Look at this for bad company does what? Corrupt. Corrupts good character. It almost implies that we start off with good character, and over time, the vice comes in and grips us, and then now we're bent and distorted, out of shape. God wants you to walk in a way that allows some resistance to that. The vices of this world are going to come. There used to be a day you had to go looking for pornography. Now it comes looking for you. You had to be overage and go places that you shouldn't have to be able to go to if you wanted to look at a magazine or look at somebody unclothed. Now you can be underage on an iPad watching a television show when the commercial comes up and shows you some inappropriate things. It's coming for you. We need to be- develop a resistance against it. It's no longer a matter of I just won't go those places. No, I need to be ready in the places that God has me. I love that you're in church. I want you to come every week. I love that you're reading your Bible. I want you to read more. But when it comes to Christ-like character, folks, there are some things that are caught and some things that are taught. This is one of those things where what's caught is more important than what you think is taught. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Look at this. Not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some. No, no, I I don't need to go to church to get to heaven. True. But if you want to be a good Christian while you're here on this earth, if you want to resist the vices that are coming along you, you need people in your life. You don't need to neglect meeting together. I know I'm preaching to the choir because y'all are all here in church, but don't neglect it. Because look at what it says. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day. Drawing near. How I many you know the day of the Lord's return is sooner? God, I hope he comes right now. Yeah. I've got some good, important things I still want to share with you today. But if Jesus wants to come, I'm good with that. Let's go right now. But until he does, I'm going to spend my life surrounded by good, godly people because they help me grow with Christ-like character. You do know that real-life change doesn't happen in rows and pews. Real life change happens in circles and groups. It doesn't happen in thou shalt do this moments from the stage. It happens in, yeah, me too moments when you're sitting in somebody's living room and they share what God has done in their life. And you start to realize, man, me too. Okay, so I'm not alone. You struggle with that also? Yeah, me too. Well, how, how are you overcoming that? This is what God's done in me. And now iron sharpens iron. YouTube, TikTok, social media is not iron. Iron. It's not sharpening you. You've got to be in relationship. And if you're going to be an effective Christian here on earth before you get to heaven, you're going to need a small group. You're going to need a small group. Pastor what are you talking about? That's, that's kind of heavy. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. We'll stand every single person in this church, single file, out the door. You can stand at the end and greet every single person. And I want you to ask them, hey, since you've been in a small group, are you closer or further from the Lord? They're going to say closer. Hey, since you've been in a small group, do you understand more or understand less about what God wants for your life? They're going to say, we understand more. Hey, tell me about the things that you struggled with since you've been in a small group and have shared with other people. Do those struggles seem harder or easier since you've been in a small group? What do you think they're going to say? easier you need people in your life can I tell you the curriculum doesn't really even matter it doesn't really even matter what matters is that you commit and participate when you're there you can hear us talk a lot about small groups there are basically three types of groups Um, that you can be in. I know some of you are curious. Maybe you're new to a church like this. Let me explain. We have what we call our freedom groups, and they're named Freedom Group because of the curriculum. That must be people that have been through a freedom group, would you think? We call them freedom groups because of the curriculum that's there. It's 12, 13 weeks of being in a living room or in a coffee shop with other people. You're watching a video. You're learning about what God wants how you, how you want to live, living not out of duty but out of desire, wouldn't that be nice? If you could learn how to serve God because you wanted to, not because you felt like you had to. And after 13 weeks of doing life like that with other people, they come together at a small conference. It's intense, but it is so good, so powerful, watching hurts, habits, and hang-ups break off of people's lives. They now walk in freedom. We call that freedom group. Listen, freedom is the best first group environment for everybody here. If you haven't been in a freedom group, would you sign up for one? i telling you, it's the best first group environment that's there. We also have discipleship groups. You may hear somebody talk about the gold book. We, we actually wrote a book to help you learn more about your Bible and learn more about how to do, be a Christian and do life with other people. This type of group is best for becoming comfortable with your Bible. I know many of us grew up in a church and a type of religion where you knew what this was, but nobody ever opened it up or encouraged you to read it to yourself. It can be intimidating. It can be over 40 authors, 1,500 years of combined material put into 66 books, broken up in Old Testament, New Testament. I've just exhausted half of you. You don't have to know everything about it in order for it to change your life. And if you'll get in a discipleship group, if you'll get in one of these gold book groups, you'll see what I'm talking about. And then the third type of group that we have that I want to encourage you to join, we call them topical groups. They're like the big bucket, the container for all the other different types of groups. These groups are best to help you continue to cultivate godly character and grouping habits. I know of groups that meet on the golf golf course. I know groups that meet in coffee shops. I know groups that do book studies together. I know groups that meet after church. They grab a room in the back, and they go through one book after another, just sharpening themselves and trying to stay in these relationships. And I want you to know groups begin today. We have groups and group leaders waiting for you in the multi-purpose room. Here's what's going to work. When I dismiss, and I'm, I'm almost there. When I dismiss today, we're going to keep your kids a little bit longer. And I want you to walk over to the multipurpose room, and I want you to meet some people. And maybe it's a freedom group that's piqued your interest. Maybe it's a topical group or discipleship group. If you'll let me, I'll put you in relationship with other people so that you can start to experience life the way God would have you experience. No longer crushed under the vices of your life, but walking in virtue. Y'all with me today? Yeah. It's important. I got a phone call uh, on Friday from a man. I've known him from some time now. And we talk off and on about God and um, his relationship with Jesus. But this time it was different. Uh, this, this time he was in tears when he called. He said, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. But, but everyone around me isn't. His wife is really sick. She's got some undiagnosed digestive issues. The doctors can't figure out why. She's malnourished and losing a lot of weight and can't, isn't as active as she used to be, and it's, it's heavy on him. He's, he's lost three close friends within the last two years, unexpectedly and tragically. His friend group is getting smaller and smaller. His sons are so far from God. They're struggling as well. And I told him, I said, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that reminds me of where you are right now. And he said, well, tell me. And I said this. I said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. C.S. Lewis said that. And somehow the pains of our life could could be nothing more than God shouting at us to get his attention. And I told him, I said, it looks like God's trying to get your attention. But he was unwilling to see it that way. The the issue had to be with everyone else. He was actually calling me to see if I would have a conversation with each of these people in his life. That God wasn't doing what he thought God should be doing in their life. The issue was with everybody else. He was unwilling to address his own relationship with God and I could hear the pain in his voice and I understood the weight of what he was feeling but he was looking through the wrong lens looking through the wrong lens and and if I'm honest I think we both ended the call a little frustrated see there's no point in having a discussion about vices and virtues when you don't even know where you are in terms of your relationship with God I get it every week In this very room, people show up experiencing the heaviest things they've ever experienced in their life. In this room right now are individuals they can't remember the last time they didn't spend a Sunday in church, but there's also individuals that are here for the first time. And life situations and circumstances have driven you here, and you don't know what's going on. Maybe God is shouting at you through the pain in your life. You say, Pastor Don, I don't know where I am in terms of my relationship with God. Let me tell you this, God knows where he is in terms of his relationship with you. He loves you. He doesn't want you stuck. He doesn't want you squeezed. He doesn't want you tripping up over and over and over again in those things. Has he allowed those situations and circumstances into your life? Answer, why? So he could bring you to a point of realizing how much you need him. He wants you to walk away from alcohol, finally, for the last time. He wants you to live in sexual purity. He wants you to let him define your identity. He made a way for you to be healed from your temper. He made a way for you to let go and forgive. I'm telling you, what they did to you wasn't right. But you've been stuck in the vices that the enemy has brought you for way too long. That's why Jesus came, because you and I can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. This isn't some sort of message where I get you to come, and if you'll just do the right things, all your problems go away. No, no, no. Most of the mature Christians in here realize that once I really started living for God, that's when all hell broke loose against me. So Christianity is great. There's no problems at all. If you're living the way this book tells you to live, there is a world and an enemy that is pinned against you. And you have to walk in the way that I'm calling you to walk. Or this world will squeeze you. Look at me, the pressures of this world will do one of two things to you, church. The weight of everything you have to carry will crush you or it will drive you into a relationship with God. Some of you step on an aluminum beer, like a beer can or a Coke can okay. and you crush it and it gets real flat. Some of us feel like that here in this room. But those of us that know how to walk in the, with the Lord, know how to walk in character, step on me. I'm just going deeper. Yeah, go. I'm like a stake. I'm, I'm a stake in the ground. I'm not an empty beer can or an empty Coke can that you can just step on me and, and crush. Next time you pull a can out of the fridge, I want you to set it on the ground and I want you to stand on it. You know, a full can can withstand a lot of pressure, can it? But you take an empty one and just thump the side. It crushes. I was reminded of the verses in this passage when I was on the phone to him and how I'd be spending some time this Sunday helping you grow in your Christ-like character. And and if I'm honest, on the phone that day with him, he didn't need a sermon about cultivating Christ-like character. He needed an encounter with the living God. He needed to experience and surrender his life to Jesus. And and here's my question to you. How about you? How about you? If you have a relationship with Jesus, I want you walking in Christ-like character. But before you walk in Christ-like character, how about we take some steps to make sure that Christ is living inside you first? I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I'm just crazy enough to believe, church, that God would send you here in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of all the things that are going wrong in your life. He would send you to the one place. That man called me because he knew I had a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you showed up today and you were expecting to encounter God. I want to help you. He's here. If you're here for the first time, this... This isn't a room full of perfect people that have this all figured out. Quite the contrary. This isn't a country club for the spiritually rich church. This is a hospital for the spiritually weak. It's just that this kind of hospital is the kind of hospital that when the sick people start to get healed, they start tending to the other sick people. That's what this place is. And I'm glad you're here. I want you to keep coming. But if you've been coming and you haven't responded, you haven't surrendered, I'm going to give you that opportunity today. Before we start working on virtue and Christ-like character, the first step is to surrender your life to Jesus. Pastor Don, how do I do that? How do I surrender my life to Jesus? How do I stop depending on myself? How do I stop trusting in me and start trusting in him? I would tell you it's as simple as A-B-C. A is admit. Here's how you trust in Jesus. You admit that your choices, your sin, have left you far away from a righteous and loving God. It's left you in a vice, crushed and deformed by this world. You've got to admit that first. That's the first step to submitting to him. Here's the second. B is believe. You've got to believe that God sent his son Jesus. He lived a sinless life because you couldn't. He paid a debt with his death that was due you. And now because of him, you don't have to. And if you're here today ready to surrender, it takes admitting your sin and believing in Jesus. Here's the third thing it takes. See, confess. Confessing him as Lord and Savior of your life. Savior is easy when you need a life raft, when when you're drowning in the sea of all the troubles that are in your life. Throw me something. I need a Savior. But the type of surrender I'm talking about is the kind of surrender that can call him Lord. If he's not Lord of all, listen to me, he's not Lord at all. And Today, you need to admit, you need to be, believe, and you need to confess. If you're here for the first day and you say, Pastor Don, I, I admit, I believe, and I confess, and I'm ready to surrender to Jesus. I want to pray a prayer with you. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up to the front. The prayer doesn't save you. It's not magical. It's it's the Holy Spirit working inside of you that brought you to a point where you could admit those things. Here's what I want to ask. All across this room, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You say, Pastor Don, I've never been born again. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, but I want you to pray with me today. right there where you are, I just want to ask that you'd raise your hand and look up at me. I want to see. Raise your hand. I want to see your face. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. I'm glad you're here. Up in the balcony, I'm looking. Thank you, I see your hand at the top. Hey, thank you, I see your hand. One more time, and then we'll pray. I didn't raise my hand before, Pastor Don, but I don't want to come another Sunday and not take advantage of this moment. I need Jesus on the inside. Hey, man, I see your hand. I'm proud of you. One more time. Thank you. I'm glad I asked. Church, this is what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to say this prayer with me, and I'm going to ask everybody else in this room to say this prayer. Here's why. We don't go through Christianity alone. We're going to go through this with you, and we're going to start by saying this prayer With you today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate with those?